questions that people often ask in terms of those who are interested in philosophy <laughs> is this, right? They often ask, what comes first, the egg or the chicken, right? And so, you know, people always ask questions such as this. Here, here in, in the Christian circle, as Christians, one of the things that we often ask about prayer is this. What comes first? Is it prayer or is it revival? And people would debate, you know, about these topics, you know. Um, I, I think those people who, who um, like to sit around and debate about these kind of topics, I think they, they would take offense that I'm comparing this to the uh, egg and chicken <laughs> question. But, um, you know. People like to debate about that. What comes first? Is it prayer or is it revival? Some camp, they'll say, you know, revival comes first and then prayer. Others will say prayer comes first and revival. And regardless of what camp you're in, you know, regardless of what camp you're in, one thing that we all can acknowledge and all we all can agree on is this, that prayer and revival always comes together. Prayer and revival always comes together together. As we look at the life of John Wesley, one of the things that we see in John Wesley was that he prayed. He prayed a lot for revival. And one of the things that he really wanted was he wanted a revival in terms of Christians, brothers and sisters growing up, maturing in their faith to become more and more and more like Jesus Christ, which is part of the Methodist movement, which is part of the holiness movement, was this idea of just growing, being, being sanctified, being changed every single day of our lives and growing us to become more and more and more like Christ. And that's how the Methodist church grew, was through the holiness movement, was through this. And John Wesley, John Wesley, who would wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning every single day, at four o'clock in the morning, and he would spend no less than four hours on his knees just praying, just praying and seeking out the will of God, just praying for his church, just praying for his people, just praying for those that he was leading, that their lives would change, that they would not just, just simply be, be people who come to church on Sundays, or they were not simply people who followed traditional Christian things that they do, but that they would be men and women that would grow in their faith and that every single day they would become more and more and more like Jesus Christ. And as we look at the people of scriptures, we look at the people of the Bible, and as we look throughout Christian history, the great men and women of Christianity, of the Christian world, has always been men and women who prayed and they prayed endlessly. And they would pray, and they would pray, and they would pray. It is just seeking out the will of God. It is not so much about trying to conform God to our will. It is not so much about trying to make God do what we want. But prayer is all about us trying to, asking God to change us and conforming us, conforming us to the will of God, to the will of God. Today we're going to study here the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to study the title that I've given for us today is Teach Us to Pray. And in the Lord's Prayer here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through verse 13, this is what it says. This then is how you should pray. This, these are the words of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
Forgive us our trespasses as also we have forgiven those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptations, but deliver us from the evil one. I know many times we we memorize these Bible verses. I, for me, you know, remembering Bible verses are not one of my strengths. You know, I can't remember a lot of things today. You know, I, I was watching this YouTube YouTube video of this young kid, right? This young kid, and she she was with um, Steve Harvey, I think Stephen Harvey or something like that. And he he showed her a pack of cards, and she just glanced at that pack of cards, you know. And then after that, she was able to recall every single card in order. <laughs> and I was looking at her, and I was I was watching that video video of her, and I was like, wow, this this young girl must not have any stress in her life at all, you know. <laughs> You know, because uh, nowadays, you know, when I was younger, I can remember things, you know, I, a lot of times when I sing, you know, we sing worship songs and things of that sort. I can remember four to five songs word for word, but now I can't even remember a verse because, you know, there's so much things going on in, in your mind nowadays that it's really hard to memorize stuff. But a lot of times we take this Bible verse and we memorize it and we recite it over and over again. And that's a good thing. That's a really, really good thing. But I don't believe that was the intent of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't believe he was intending us to, to recite this over and over again. But what he was doing was he was giving us a formula. He was teaching us step by step as to exactly how we are to pray. And as, if we break this down, we see that the first word here as he was teaching us to pray is the word our. He says, our Father. Let us focus on that word our. You see, this Father, this God, does not belong just to you or just to me. This Father doesn't belong to just one person, but He belongs to all of us. And Christ is teaching us through this simple word that it is in the unity of the church that we can approach God. That when we approach God, we must do so in the unity as our Father. And it is in this unity of the church that we can reveal the power of God to the world. That's why the Bible teaches us a lot about unity. And it teaches us that we must not have anything to do with people who would divide us. We're not to seek for division, but we are to seek for unity among God's people. And it is in this unity that the power of God is revealed. If we look at God's creation... As, as we're seeing, this is my Father's Word. As we, we look upon God's creation, the entire universe, we see that everything works in unity. Everything works in unity. And that's what God intends for us as a church. A lot of times our prayers are not very strong. A lot of times our prayers result in, doesn't result in any, anything. It doesn't have any power because we lack, we lack the unity as a church. You know, among, last week I went, to a, I went to a Hmong church to preach and a lot of times it breaks my heart to see so many churches continuously break apart over some of the most trivial things. Some of the most trivial things that cannot even be worked out. You see, our testimony to the world cannot, cannot have any power if in the church we cannot even be united, if we cannot even come together and love one another, 
And so Jesus Christ is teaching us that as you address God, always remember that he is our Father. He is our Father. That we are united in him as one people. And the word Father here is literally in the Hebrew language, it's, talk, it, it, it's a childish word. Abba, Daddy. It's a, very, it's a, it's a word that, that's used by children. In the Hmong language, we have the same thing. When, when you're grown up, you, you approach your father in a different way. You call him Tzi. And when you're younger, like you know, a ch- child, you call him E, right? And so you have different terminologies you know, for the older people, how, how they are to address their father. And for young, young children to address their father. I guess in, the, in, uh, in, the, in English, it's more like daddy and just dad. Even my older kids won't call me daddy anymore. They just call me dad. <laughs> they say, if I call you daddy, we feel, we, feel, uh, you know, we feel like we're little kids, so we don't want to call you daddy anymore. We just want to call you dad. But Eli still calls me daddy, you know. Eli still calls me daddy and calls um, his mom, mommy. But this is a word showing us our intimacy with God. That we can approach God just as we can approach our Father. You know, during the Old Testament days, during those the old Jewish days, they used to have this very, very distant relationship with God. And they, they would be very fearful in approaching God. But Jesus Christ came and he says, there, there's no need to be so fearful. But this God is your Father. You can be excited about just approaching him. You can be excited about going into his presence. And you can address him like a little child is addressing his father. And you can simply say, Daddy, Daddy, this is what I'm, this, this is, I'm so excited to be here. And this is what I need from you. You know, nowadays, um, nowadays, I, I, my office is in Sacramento, but I work probably about three to four days from home. And so, I, so I'm, most of the time I'm with Eli. And so Eli, you know, so most of the time he, he doesn't greet me anymore, you know when I come through the door and stuff like that, because I spend so much time with him. But when, when Simon and Caleb was growing up, I spent a lot of my time out in the field. I spent a lot of my time in the office and things of that sort. And so every single time I, I come through the door, they would run up to me, and, and they'll be so excited to see me. And they'll be, Daddy, Daddy, you're home, you're home. And they'll be just so excited to see me. And that's the same kind of excitement that Jesus Christ is trying to teach us here. He's trying to reveal to us here that as you approach God, you can have that same type of excitement, that same type of joy, just like how a little child, when he sees his father coming home, and he's excited about it. He can't even wait to approach his father. He can't even wait to see his father come home. Nowadays, my, my son Eli, he can't wait for his mother to come home, right? Every single day, you know, every single, he would ask me, is it time yet? Is it time for mom to come home yet? So he just can't wait for his mom to come home. And this is what Christ is revealing to us as he's teaching us to pray. We simply can't wait to be in the presence of God. We simply can't wait to pray. Our way of dependency upon God. Our way of just expressing ourselves to God. Giving everything up to God in his glory. And as we pray, we must remember these two things that we must be united as a church and that we must be excited when we pray as we approach our Father. As we see these, these two terms, as we put them together, we see that the, when we pray, what we need to do is we need to address God. We need to address our Father. We're, we're not here to address anybody else in our prayer, but we are to address only our Father. 
And it goes on to say that it is our Father in heaven. You see, so we understand that we are united as the church. We understand that we can have this intimate relationship with God and we can approach Him with no fear. We can approach Him with joy. We can approach Him with excitement, but at the same time, it's teaching us that He, even though He is our Father, He has authority over us. He is in heaven. And we're simply here on earth. And He has that authority over us. And our, and our prayer is, our prayer must be for us to submit to His will. And not so much to try to get Him to submit to our will. To our will. Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 26 verse 39 as he, in the Garden of Gethsemane as He was about to get arrested. And He was about to be crucified and be tortured and be crucified. He, the Word of God teaches us that he fell on his face and he prayed. And he prayed and he said, Father, if you may, take away this cup from me. But let your will be done instead of my will. Let your will be done instead of my will. You see, he was expressing the anguish that he was going through at that moment in which he knew that he was going to have to go and get crucified. And he was talking and he was praying to his father that, Father, remove this cup from me. In other words, he's basically saying, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, if I do not need to go through this, Father, if there's any other way, please provide that so I don't have to go through this. But, but let your will be done instead of my will. Let your will be done instead of my will. A lot of times when we pray, we're all saying, God, you know, give me this, give me that, do this for me, do that for me. And we often forget to say that, God, let your will be done in my life. Let your will be done. And sometimes that will might not be what I want. Sometimes your will might not fit perfectly with my will. But let your will be done in my life. And I will follow you, even if it means that I must suffer as Christ suffered. That I will follow you. Our Father who, in, who is in heaven, He has authority over us. He reigns over us. As we said, this is His world. This is His creation. And we are to submit to Him. I know, I know the word submit and the word authority and things of that sort. It's very hard for us to grasp. It's very, it's, it's often seen as a negative thing nowadays in our culture today. But as Francis Chan said, that this is what Francis Chan said about submission. And he said that as Christians, it is our duty. It is our duty to reveal to the world how beautiful it is to submit to Christ. It is our duty to live, to be a good example for the world so that they will see how beautiful and how wonderful it is to, to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. And as we pray, we need to remember that, that our prayer is about submitting ourselves to Christ, about submitting ourselves to the authority of our Father. And it goes on and says, Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Name in the Bible often refers to the person. The person. 
hallowed. It's a praising God. As I was teaching Eli up here, one of the things, one of the formulas that I like to teach children is the Acts formula, and A stands for adoration. And it's just about praising God in your prayer. Every single time you approach God, you want to praise Him. You want to acknowledge how wonderful, how great, how magnificent He is. This great, tremendous love that He's given to you. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. You know, as Christians, as we grow in our faith as Christians, we begin to understand more and more about the love of Christ, the love of God, as it's being revealed to us daily, and we see it more and more and more. And the more we, we see this love, the more we see this grace, it just drives us to want to live for Him. It just drives us to want to do His will. Because, wow, there is no love. There is no love that's greater than the love of Christ given to us. There is no love greater than that. And then it says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Once again, talking talking about the, the desire for God's will to be done. The desire for God's kingdom, his reign to come on this earth. To take over this earth. To, the desire to just have everyone know who Christ is. A lot of times we like to say that every religion is equal, and that sounds very good. Coming from an animistic background, in the Hmong culture, I can tell you that the, our, our shamanistic beliefs are, is not equal to the Christian belief. You know, when, you, when, you talk to a, a, when you talk to a woman who's gone, who's, who's gone off to, to get married, and she gets sent back home, and her parents religiously, spiritually, her parents cannot accept her back because of the religion. And in Thailand and Laos, these women have to go live, live with the chickens, the roosters, the pigs, because the, the, the religious belief, the religious system just didn't allow them, them to come back because it was a belief that they are no longer part of their biological family because of this, because since they've they've gone out, they no longer share in the same spiritual, the same spiritual matters, the same spiritual world as their biological family, and so they have, as they leave, they have to continue to be with their husband's family, and if they if they get divorced, they come back. They cannot even come back to their families anymore. You see, so. It's, it's, it's a really hard thing. And Christianity set the Hmong people free from these types of beliefs, these types of practices. That's the love of Christ. That's the love of Christ. Just setting us free from the things that we used to practice. And as we go on, it says, give us this day our daily bread. There's nothing wrong with us asking for God to provide for us. You see, Jesus is saying, it's a good thing. Go ahead and ask. Go ahead and ask. But always understand that his will comes before your will. So go ahead and ask for him to provide for you. Go ahead and depend on God to provide for you. It's a good thing. And God is going to provide for you. And then it goes on and says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Once again, it's a, it's a prayer of, of um, confession. He's teaching us, Jesus Christ is teaching us that when we pray, we must confess our sins. We read in Psalms chapter 51, we see David's repentance. We see David's repentance because he had an affair with Bathsheba. And he caused Bathsheba's husband to be killed. 
And as the prophet Nathan approached David, David repented from his sin. And he went before God and he said, God, have mercy upon me. Have mercy upon me. For I have committed this, this, this horrible, horrible thing, this horrible sin. You know, in the end, God still said that David was a man after God's own heart, even though David wasn't perfect, even though David sinned greatly. And the reason for that is because David repented from his sin. He repented from his sin. He knew that he did wrong. And this is not simply just feeling sorry for yourself. Repentance is not simply just feeling sorry for yourself. But the word repentance actually means to change, to change from your way. When we repent, we're willing to change from the way that we're going. And part of, part of our prayer is to repent. Part of our prayer is to confess our sins to God. And then it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I was just praying for a family a couple weeks ago. They were going through some spiritual battles in their lives, seeing manifestation of certain things in their lives, spiritual things in their lives. They talked to me about it. The, 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 the wife was very, very afraid, very scared of what she was experiencing. The daughter was also very afraid of what she was experiencing. And a lot of times we forget about the spiritual battles that we fight. We like to think that everything is about the physical world. We like to think in terms of everything is the materialistic world. And we don't think about the spiritual side anymore. And we ignore the spiritual side of life. But Jesus Christ here is teaching us that there is a spiritual side to life that we battle. We must battle every single day of our lives. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6 talking about the spiritual battle. That our battles is not against flesh or bones. But our battles are against the spiritual forces of this world, the evil spiritual forces of this world. And this is what the Word of God continues to teach us, that there is a spiritual warfare out there that's continually, continually impacting us in our lives. And the only way, the only way for us to defeat that is if we put on Christ, if we have Christ in our lives. If we have Christ in our lives. A lot of people, they're going through a lot of trouble in their marriages. A lot of times they go through troubles with addictions and things of that sort. And they go through all that, those issues. And they never forget that sometimes part of that has to do with the spiritual matter in their own life. With the spiritual matter in their own life. And the only way for them to overcome that is through Jesus Christ. It's by putting on Jesus Christ, having Christ in your own life. And so our prayer is to acknowledge that we are, we do go through these things, that we do go through these spiritual battles, and the only way for us to defeat these things is, is to ask God for protection. But as we read the scripture, we see the context of this. What Jesus is saying, the reason why Jesus was teaching them how to pray was because Jesus was contrasting the difference between how you are to pray and how you are not to pray. Because the verses before that, Jesus was talking about the Pharisees and how they were praying. And that the Pharisees, the way that they were praying was they were seeking after, after rewards from men. They wanted men to praise them, so they were just basically showing off in the, in the streets, you know, by, through their, their righteous deeds, through, through their religious rituals and things of that sort. And they were doing everything seeking for rewards from men, praise from men. 
But as we pray, that's not the point. Our prayer is not to show off to people how spiritual we are, not to show off to people how religious we are, not to show off to people how, how great we are, but that our prayer is to God and God alone. And it is to bring Him much, much glory. And it is to conform ourselves, to conform ourselves to His will. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, the Word of God teaches us about the Son of God. And it says this, that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and pray. You see, the Son of God himself prayed, and he continuously prayed. And as Christians, the word Christian itself means that we are to follow Jesus Christ. As much as he prayed, we as a church, we as Christians, we also need to continue to pray at all times. For those, I know a lot of times you go to church and a lot of people don't know how to pray and um, things like that, but um, I pray, I pray that, um, that if you don't know how to pray, that you will come talk to me and I, I can help you. Or t- talk to Pastor Bob and we can help teach you how to pray. Our church must be a praying church. Our people here must be a praying people. That's how we're going to grow. That's how we're going to find out what the will of God is in our life. We must continue to pray. Let us pray together. Our Father, we thank you so much for this message today. And we pray that you will make us, your children, a group of people that will continue to rely upon you, a group of people that will continue to come into your presence with prayer. And that we will just continue to pray and pray and pray so that the Holy Spirit may come down upon us and just empower us for his kingdom, for his missions. Father, we, wanna, we want the whole community, we want the whole country, we want the whole world to know who you are. And this cannot be accomplished apart from you. This can only accomplish through our prayer lines, Father. And so as, as you watch over us, as you watch over us, make us the people, make us a church that will pray continuously without envy. So we give you all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. It's time for offering.